You know, lots of things in life are really good by themselves, but when you put them into a full harmony, they become absolutely glorious. Maybe think of a violinist. Makes beautiful music in their his or her own right. But you put a couple of violins together and add in a piano, maybe like the piano guys, that really draws you in. Whoa, that's, that takes it to another level. And then you add in a, a full orchestra, and a full symphony, and all the harmonies that go with it. And it's stunning. It makes the, the hair on the back of your neck stand up because it's so beautiful. I, I remember I was in, in college and our uh, family became smitten with the soundtrack from Wicked. Now, if, if you're not familiar, it's not as bad as it sounds, I promise. It's just the prequel to The Wizard of Oz. Uh, but my, my mom and my sister got the musical genes that I didn't, and so they would regularly be singing this soundtrack. And I'm thinking, man, this, at first I was a little skeptical, and then, yeah, this is, this is pretty good stuff. So I started to listen to the soundtrack itself. And of course, you hear the whole band and Idina Menzel and Kristen Chenoweth, and they're carrying on like, well, this is a whole other level of goodness to be enjoyed here. And then the day that Emily and I got engaged, we were actually in New York City and had the opportunity to see Wicked on Broadway. And it took it to a whole other level to see the actors flying around on stage in the live orchestra and the, you know, the professionalism and the excellence on every corner. It was astonishing. It was good to hear my sister and my mom sing it in the car, but it was glorious to be there on Broadway. I mean, maybe you're not as much into the musical side of things. Think of it this way. Fresh apple crisp just came out of the oven, bubbling up. That's really good. I'll love me some good apple crisp. But then, then you add in some bluebell ice cream, single origin coffee, add in all your favorite friends, sitting around the fireplace playing board games while the kids are at grandma's house. <laughs> all of a sudden, a good thing of apple crisp, you put that in full harmony, like, whoa, that is glorious. See, there's, there's lots of things in life that are good by themselves, and in a full harmony, they become absolutely glorious. We're in the middle of a sermon series here. It's the third week of it. We'll carry on through January the 1st called Rhythms of Renewal. What we've said so far is that true renewal is only found in Christ by his word and with his people. And today's passage and today's sermon focuses on this fundamental reality, the with God's people part. You might sum it up like this to simply say, the Christian life flourishes in community. The Christian life flourishes in community. Because we recognize that you can know God individually, and, and that's good to know him, but full harmony is to be renewed by God with his people in community. And I want to take this morning a little bit longer in the introduction to let us marinate on this idea, maybe, than I, than I usually would. It's important we recognize that the Christian life is designed by God to be in community. So when you trust Christ as your Savior, he makes you a new, a new person. But he also makes us collectively into a new people, a new community, a collective new living organism called the church. 
You see, this flows out of God's very essence to be in community because before he created anything, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, in eternity past, were loving each other fully. They were their own perfect community. So any talk of living in community has a foundation in the character of God. To be made in the image of God means, in part, to long for a community of loving relationships. It's how we are wired as his image bearers. And some people will hear this and recognize it and celebrate it and say, look, we shouldn't go to church, we should be the church. The church is a, a people, not a place. And you've heard that, like, yay, community! That's true, and it's, it's good, but still better is to recognize that the church is a people who gather in a place. To, to both and, not an either or. The, the togetherness aspect of the whole church is really important. Hebrews 10 commands us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as was the habit of some back then, apparently. So this not wanting to gather isn't really a new thing. But there's also a habit of gathering in smaller groups. So when, when Donald read from Acts 2 and verse 46, if your copy of God's word is there, you could look back down and said, they met at the temple and in their homes. So the, the whole church community, as well as finding a smaller group you can commit to, is critical. It's a both and, not an either or. And this right here is exactly why we're launching community groups. These will meet during the week in people's homes. The primary goal of these is to build community within the church. That's why they're called community groups. The name means something. And our goal in these community groups is to see discipling relationships established and strengthened in the church. We're launching them because we know the Christian life flourishes in community. So signups are going to go live next week. The groups will start meeting in early to mid-January. And here's all I'm asking you to do today. Pray about it. Is God leading me and perhaps our family to join a community group, recognizing that the Christian life flourishes in community? Talk to your spouse if you're married about this. But as you prayerfully consider it, remember this as you think through community groups. Biblical community, it's never found, it's always built. You don't walk in and just find something that's pre-existing there. You have to strive and labor to build this community. It doesn't happen in a month or two. It, it can't be microwaved. It takes time. Putting up a backyard tent is easy. Building a house made of bricks is hard. But similarly, investing in biblical community, the house made out of bricks, it's worth it. It'll stand the test of time. It'll sustain you. It'll keep you warm when it's cold out. It'll give you a place of shelter when it's raining and when it's hailing and when the storm of life is raging. Parkside, growing together through relationships. It's who we are and it's who we're going to be. This is our future together. Jesus said that by our love for one another is how the world would know that we are Jesus' disciples. That's John 13. And he said that our unity would be a, a testimony and evidence that Jesus was actually the Son of God. That's John 17. He said that by loving one another, by bearing one another's burdens, we fulfill the whole law of Christ. That's Galatians 6. This is exactly who we are and who we are going to be. 
And, and many of you have built this kind of strong, lasting, brick house kind of community in a Sunday school class. And we praise God for that. That community groups won't be in, in competition to that or trying to recruit you away or anything like that. Based on your life stage, it may be valuable to be in a Sunday school class and a community group. That may be exactly what your spiritual life needs, but we're certainly not going to require that of anyone. But we're recognizing that the Christian life flourishes in community, and we've got to invest there. We know that isolation can be easy and at times natural for us, but we all need meaningful relationships in the body because we're made in the image of God. That deep down, we long for real, deep spiritual relationships. Here's what we know. Here's what the whole sermon's about. I've said it several times. I'll say it again. Be abundantly clear. The Christian life flourishes in community. So this morning in in Acts 2, what we're going to do is we're going to take a little different approach to the outline. This passage, it gives us a picture of what the early church looked like. It doesn't exactly command, here's everything you must do. It describes what was happening. So we'll have, we'll have three points. That's, that's the normal part. The abnormal part is each of the points will be a, a picture, an image of what happens when we live in this biblical community that we're called to. All right, so, so here are the three points. Number one, the meal gets richer. Number two, your muscles get stronger. And number three, God's beauty gets reflected. The meal gets richer, your muscles get stronger. God's beauty gets reflected. So we start, start first. The, the meal gets richer. We're, we're in the middle of a holiday season where there's a lot of gathering for meals. And one thing that I've recognized this year and through the years is that by sharing the meal prep, the entire meal gets way better. Everybody brings their best dish, right? And so when everybody brings their specialty, you put them all together on the same table and it's like, oh my word, this is how we all just gained 17 pounds in December, because the whole meal got that much richer. And different people are bringing different recipes. And we're learning from each other while eating their best meal. And in Acts 2, the meal, proverbially, is worshiping God through the ordinary means of grace. This meal gets richer when we're in community. Look back at verse 42 of Acts chapter 2. Here's what we read. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. There's a continual devotion to doing life together, of recognizing the church is a family. We see a commitment to learn the words and the ways of Jesus together. There's a commitment to fellowship. Fellowship is a word that's pretty easily defined. It just means this, sharing. Sharing. It's a commitment to sharing life together. It's enabled only by the Spirit among Christians. So it's sharing, and it's enabled by the Spirit among Christians. So sometimes we think fellowship, and then our mind goes to two Christians and a donut. That's not a bad thing to do. I like other Christians, and I like donuts. But when the Bible says fellowship, there's a much richer picture in mind here. True biblical fellowship shares far more than a 10-minute conversation before church and a Hillegas donut. Involves regularly sharing meals, going over to kids' games, having movie nights together, playing board games. I saw many of you at the school play yesterday, and they did a great job of going out and seeing Christmas lights together. 
But Acts 2 makes a very specific point that the meat of our fellowship, the meat of our proverbial meal is a spiritual worship. And so I would ask you, within your fellowship, within your community, is spiritual intake a regular part of your diet? And if not, I would just remind you, you are missing a key ingredient in what God has designed for you. Or some of us have the spiritual part on Sunday. We pray, we read the word, we sing, and we sort of leave that alone until next Sunday, and we merely do social things in the middle. And God intends a far richer meal for us than just spirituality on Sunday, kind of hang out in the middle, spirituality next Sunday. Christian author Jerry Bridges says it this way, see it on the screen. It is obvious from Acts 2.42 that the early church considered fellowship among the believers an important ingredient in their spiritual health, right along with hearing the word of God in corporate prayer. Yet little attention seems to be given to this dimension of fellowship in our churches or other ministries today. We have meetings that emphasize the teaching of the word. and Sometimes we have prayer meetings. But very little seems to be done to stimulate true spiritual fellowship. What often goes by the name of fellowship is simply social activity within the body and important activity, but hardly answering the need of mutual spiritual stimulation. So, so let me just give you a couple examples of how I've seen this lived out and ideas to kind of kickstart. What might this look like for me? As a high school kid, I, I had a mentor who invited me over to his house. We went over, we hung out. Uh, he took me to Taco Bell, went through the drive-thru, came back. We watched the movie Gladiator, one of the great graces in my life. It's a fantastic movie. And then he taught me how to pray the Bible. And so we spent four or five, six hours together. I don't know if he liked Taco Bell or not. I did back then. And certainly we both cultivated a love for this movie. We're, we're just sharing life together. And then for an hour, we prayed the Bible. And I'd never really seen exactly how that's supposed to go. And he had a plan and said, here's what it looks like to open God's word and pray it together. Fellowship, sharing all of life with the meat being God's word. I know there's a group of guys or a couple of groups of guys in our church right now that meet every Monday morning to drink coffee and discuss the sermon. So before Sunday, they'll read the passage individually. They'll hear it corporately. And then in a small group, they'll gather and talk about how they should be applying it to their lives. Do you see how the meal gets so much richer when I individually read, I corporately take it in, and then in a smaller group, we talk about how do I apply this in each arena of my life? If you want to start doing something like this, maybe uh, with some friends or people in your Sunday school class, or you want that to be a rhythm of your community group, just recognize in the bulletin each week, we do print the text that we'll be preaching on next week. So we encourage you to read ahead and kind of start marinating in the scriptures before you hear the sermon so you're ready for it. My friend Drew Hunter up at Zionsville Fellowship uh, said it this way. He says, biblical community, it doubles your joys and halves your sorrows. The joyous things in life, it doubles the joy. And, and when things are really difficult, when it's filled with sorrow, it cuts it in half because you have someone to help carry the load. Early in our marriage, Emily would host a lot of these freezer meal nights. Maybe you guys have done these where you have a bunch of people together, you, everybody brings a meal, you make it, and then you walk out with like 20 meals, stick them in the freezer, and it carries you through the winter. 
right? Now, now, there's other ways you could have done this. You could ask people individually for recipes. That would work, right? Or you could go back to the, you guys remember the whole church cookbooks? You guys remember seeing one of those? I think my grandma had one. Um, sorry, I don't mean that to be poking it at older days, but th there's different ways to get recipes, right? You can ask people for it. But what we found is when when she would bring people together in a smaller group, there's the most value because there's the relational component and there's the recipes. We're all together and the meal is getting richer in a holistic sense. And just as the meal prep flourishes in community, so the Christian life flourishes in community. So pray about joining a community group. Talk to Pastor Casey with any questions. Your spiritual diet will thank you. And a year from now, I think you're gonna look back and say, wow, I have seen my walk with Jesus goes so much deeper and so much further than I thought it would because I'm living the life as God has ordained it and how he's designed it to be. So the, the meal gets richer. That's the first one. But the second part of living in community is that your muscles get stronger. Your muscles get stronger. I hope you've got your copy of God's word open. Look back at verses 44 and 45. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, what, what exactly is happening here? Well, there's a commitment to sharing and to meeting needs, to giving and receiving help. And it's important when we come to this passage that I, I note, the point isn't to renounce private property, as some have said. Right, we have archaeology and historical documents that show other religious groups in this area that renounce private property as, as sinful. That's not what's happening here. They're merely using the time, talent, and treasure that God has given them to meet needs within the body. So they're, they're sharing and, and they're meeting needs. They're giving and receiving help. Now, clearly, this, this initial bit involved the financial picture, and so we need to recognize that a part of our discipleship is our finances and giving to meet needs in the body. That's why we have a benevolence fund here at the church. A, a part of every offering that comes in goes to that benevolence fund to meet needs within the body and in the community around us, Galatians 6.10. So as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, but especially those of the household of faith. And I know there are, are many people, dozens of people that are seeing needs within the body and not necessarily doing it through the offering, but just reaching out as they have opportunity, saying, hey, we see a need, we want to help out, we want to intervene and do what we can. That's exactly what's in picture here, in view. It's, it's, it's broader than our finances, though. Right? Finances are, are part of it, but it's, it's way broader than, than that to say, I see the needs in the community, I see the needs in our church family, and I'm going to seek to meet them however I can. We see a picture here of others-centeredness being a fundamental tenet of Christianity. You see, Christ's love for us is reflected out, and as we start to seek to love others well, to see needs and meet them, it's like exercising, isn't it? It strengthens you to go and do that, even as it wears you out, but it also strengthens you to receive help, because it's really hard to receive, isn't it? Easy to give, hard to receive. Easy to say, hey, I'd love to pray for you. Difficult to say, I'm really struggling right now. Can you help me in this way? But it grows us in humility to receive. And so it strengthens us. And just as exercise requires seasons of vigorously working 
straining the muscles, and then you rest, and then the muscles recover, and they come back stronger, so it is spiritually. Maybe you knew one of those guys who wanted to be able to do, you know, 500 push-ups. He said, I'm going to do push-ups every single day. Well, he does that for a week or two, and all of a sudden he's crumpling because you never let your muscles rest, and it's not going to go very well. But you also probably have known somebody who talked a big game about all the exercise they were going to do, the weight they were going to lose, the toning they were going to have, and six months later, we're still waiting to do the first push-up. Talk a lot, but don't actually do a lot. And so as we think about what it is to meet needs within the body, it's important to recognize there are times in our life where we're doing a lot. You're serving. You're stretched thin. That may not be the right time to join a community group. Maybe you need to reduce some commitments you have, give it a couple of months, and then engage, because it's possible to try to do too much. But I think more frequently in the spiritual life and in the weight room, we tend to not do the push-ups we're supposed to. Our muscles aren't toned like we wish they were. And so it's important to recognize that's probably the direction most of us trend. And we need to make a commitment, knowing it will push us to live in community, in this Sunday school class, in this community group, knowing that it will strengthen us, knowing it will strengthen others, because the Christian life flourishes in community. And the whole New Testament call is basically summed up as love one another. Right? Look at just a couple of passages here. Colossians 3, and above all these, above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect unity. Or 1 John 4, verse 7, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 14, let all that you do be done in love. 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Do you catch those passages that say, above all, love earnestly. So you love somebody by forgiving them. That'll stretch your muscles. It's gonna be difficult, but it'll make you stronger. Love someone by restraining your words. That'll stretch your muscles. Love someone by listening when you're tired, by making time for coffee when you're busy, by fasting and praying when they're stressed out, by dot, 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 fill in the blank. You know what that's going to look like. You know how it's going to stretch your muscles, and you know on the other side how it's going to make you stronger. Not easy at the time, but needed. This is why our, our membership commitment that Pastor Casey referenced during the discipleship pathway portion this morning, number two, we commit to have others minister to us and be involved in our spiritual growth and to do the same for those in our individual and church family. That's what we've committed to. That's what I'm saying here. And having a group I regularly gather with, it forms muscle memory to live in community Living in community might start as something that I do, and it becomes a way of being. I remember when we first got married, my wife had a different picture of cleanliness in the house than I did. <laughs> it took me a while to become domesticated. And, uh, and at first I walked in like, I got to remember I have to do this thing. And it was like a checklist in my mind. I kept forgetting. And over time, 
it stopped being a thing to do and it started being a way of being. And I started to see things differently as she would see them. And the things that bothered her started to bother me. Living in community might be that way a little bit. You say, Justin, I'm used to living kind of as a loner, off on my own a bit. Feels odd to carve out time on a weekly basis to be with these other people. It starts out as something I need to do and it will become a way of life. Like, oh, this is so much better now. It takes time and investments. You know, when, you're, when your muscles are out of shape, you kind of have to take baby steps, don't you? I was talking to Pastor Jared the other day about running in the mini marathon. And I said, oh, have you started running? I said, oh, no, I've got time, though. And, uh, and what, I, what I haven't done is I haven't started with a five-mile run. That's not where you get started when you've been on the couch for a while. You know, interestingly, we were talking about that about a month ago, and I haven't gone on a single run yet, so maybe this is a, a lesson for me here. But for a lot of us, our spiritual life is kind of like this. We have good intentions, we talk a good game, but we have to actually take that step. And it's hard to get going. I mean, I hear this, and I'm talking about Sunday school classes, community groups. Maybe the first step for you this morning is to say, I need to get back to rhythms of family discipleship. Don't even think about a small group yet, but husbands leading wives, moms and dads leading kids, building some kind of basic practice around here's what it looks like for us to worship Jesus together. There's, there's a book I read recently I want to commend to you. It's called Habits of the Household. Really good little book, tons of practical ideas. Uh, it has been really helpful in our family to think about ways that we can kind of exercise our spiritual muscles together. Uh, and we're, we're so excited about it. They're, these will be 50% off in the bookstore through the end of the year. So I'd encourage you to stop by and pick one up, Habits of the Household. Uh, but, but one of the things that they said in the book that I found really helpful, you see it on the screen, is this. When it comes to family spiritual formation, it's not about perfect practice. It's about moving from nothing to something. Take that first step. Get up, get going. So, so for us, one of the, the practices we took away from it is uh, they suggested, hey, before you leave in the morning, or you're going to work, going to school, whatever you're doing, have a family prayer huddle. So, so we call it the family prayer off. Like football games start with a kickoff, we start with a prayer off. And uh, we've been at it for about a month now, and so sometimes we remember and it goes well. More often than not, it doesn't go so well. Right? Somebody's grumpy, and so we're like screaming while we're trying to pray, or we forget to do it, and so we're trying to play like a last minute prayer in the car before I dump the kids out at school. Sometimes we forget altogether. We get to bedtime and the kids are like, Dad, we didn't do the prayer off. You're right, sorry guys. It's not like you just step in and it immediately goes perfectly. You're not gonna step into the mini marathon and compete with the champions. But it's important for all of us to go from nothing taking that first step. And, and here's what I'm confident of. As you take that first step, as your muscles start to get stronger, you'll be able to figure out what the next step is. You start doing some jogging, like, you know what? I think a 5K is probably a good spot for me. Or maybe, maybe a 10K is what you want to go for. Maybe you decide you want to do some cross training. Hey, I'm going to go half a mile, do some push-ups, another half mile, do some more push-ups, you know, join the CrossFit gym. Like, like you can figure that out once you get going. But you have to take the first step. Living in community makes your spiritual muscles stronger. That's the second point. Third point is this. God's beauty gets reflected. When we live in community, the meal of worshiping God gets stronger, your spiritual muscles get stronger, and God's beauty gets reflected. 
You see, radical, self-sacrificing love for one another. Got to picture that in your mind. Radical, self-sacrificing love for one another is not very normal. You know that. I'm telling you what you already know, but we're thinking about that for a moment. And based on the book of Acts, apparently it wasn't very normal back then either. Because this love for one another reflected God's glory to an unbelieving world around these brothers and sisters in a way that was really attractive. How do I know that? Look at verse 47. After describing the whole picture of what life together looks like, here's what we read. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It's what John 13 and John 17 would also say, that our love for one another is a powerful evidence of the truth of the gospel. And it reminds us that evangelism isn't supposed to be done in isolation. We're joined together as a body. And together we reflect the glory of God. We know that the the moon every night reflects the sun. And when it's a full moon, the reflected beauty is really impressive. I saw this picture recently. My mom took this one. A full moon, middle of the night. But look how clear that is. When I see that, I think of an entire body of Christ together reflecting the glory of God. And I wonder if sometimes in our evangelism, we're seeing people who don't know Christ, we want to see them reached. We're more like a waxing or a waning crescent, just a tiny little sliver, because we're not involving the whole body. We're trying to do it all by ourselves. And you you get that little tiny sliver of a moon, it reflects a little bit of light. But you see that whole moon, and it reflects the light gloriously. There's a guy I know who came to Christ a couple of years ago. I just want to tell you the story a little bit of how that happened. There there were some Christians who started to frequent his business. They got to know him a little bit, and he knew they were Christians. He started to notice, hey, there's something different about these guys. So they started to pray for him, figure out what was going on in his life. One of the guys invites him to a Bible study. Different guy invites him to church. A couple of years later, Few other dudes end up leading him to Christ on a golf course of all places. And you get to the end of the picture, and it's like, well, there were guys who first got to know him, guys who started praying for him, guys who invited him to the Bible study, different guys who invited him to church, and some other guys who were playing golf with him. Who gets the credit for it? God does. Because you're collectively reflecting his glory. It's what 1 Corinthians 3 would say. Some plant, some water, some harvest. God is the one giving the increase all the time. It reminds me of uh, a woman named Rosaria Butterfield. Maybe maybe you've heard her story, but Rosaria was a professor of uh, lesbian and feminist studies at Syracuse University. She had a perception of what Christians are all about. She'd written in papers, she'd received all kinds of letters back, and so her perception of what Christians are like was not exactly just taken out of thin air. She had some experiences to ground that. But God did a miracle in Rosaria's heart broke into her life and he saved her. And how did he do it? Who did he use? He used Christians who just invited her over for dinner. And she saw over time how they loved each other, how their whole church came together and loved the community around them. And she started to recognize in these people that it didn't fit the narrative that she'd previously heard about, that she'd previously read about. They were reflecting as a full moon the glory of God to her. She said, I want to know more about this. 
You might benefit from her story, her autobiography where she shares this. It's simply called The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. Helpful little book to, to hear kind of her journey, The Secret Thoughts of an un- Unlikely Convert. Uh, I, I think I listened to it on Audible, and it was a helpful little audio book because it's story form and, and easy to listen to there. But when we think about this reflecting God's beauty, we need to recognize it's both personal and it's corporate. It's personal in the sense of this should be a rhythm of your everyday Christian life. We're not waiting for a special evangelistic event or special speaker at the church. Like This is just a normal part of life. As I start to meet people who don't know Jesus, I'm trying to bring them to Jesus and to other Jesus followers. And in so doing, we recognize that it's corporate. It's not a solo sport. We work at this together as a team. So you start to ask yourself, as I reflect the glory of God, am I reflecting it like a full moon with the whole body of Christ, or am I just off on my own trying to do this by myself? This past year, we read a book with our deacons, and it commented on this evangelism section in a way that I thought was helpful. Here's what the author, Jamie Dunlop, says. He says, evangelism is personal. It generally involves explaining the gospel in the context of a friendship rather than simply bringing someone to church. And it, evangelism, is corporate. Without introducing non-Christians to the local church, evangelism ignores the greatest evidence we have for the truth of the gospel. It's both and, it's not either or. And so sometimes maybe it's helpful to think about it this way of, of merging some of your universes. I live in multiple universes, Justin. Well, stick with me, it's not really. But you, you usually have my Christian circle over here. These are my Christian friends. These people from church or from school or what have you. You've got a a work circle maybe and then a a recreational circle. And generally those Venn diagrams don't overlap a whole lot. And so what we think about doing is how can I take my Christian friends and start to overlay that Venn diagram with other people and they can introduce people who don't know Jesus to people who do know Jesus. So as I'm having birthday parties, how can I invite some people in so they can get to know each other? The Super Bowl's coming up in a couple months. How can I invite some different groups together here? Maybe you want to go axe throwing or go to cake bake or do a paint pour or anything like that, like easy events to start merging those universes, bringing unbelievers and believers together, praying that you'll have opportunities to speak the gospel, praying they'll have opportunities to speak the gospel and asking God to give the increase in all of it. It means you're actively seeking spiritual conversations, not passively waiting for someone else to bring it up. You know, my kids, I, I want them to like baseball because I like baseball. And so we started when they were six years old for their birthday saying they got to go to an Indians game with me. That was the special thing. And at first it was not so much something they wanted to do. You know, we, we'd show up about the fifth inning and leave about the seventh. It's like we got to plan this well. But over time, it started to cultivate a desire. And they look forward to it now, and they enjoy it. And just as I initiated this baseball conversation with them, so we should be regularly initiating spiritual conversations with people who don't know Jesus, not merely waiting for them to bring it up to us. See, all of this happens in community, but there is a cost to it. Yes, Christian life flourishes in community, but it's built and not found. And what that means, it's going to take time, it's going to take effort, it will require an investment from you. 
You may not be able to do everything on your bucket list that your neighbor gets to do, but you'll have something far greater. You'll be eating daily at a spiritual Roos Chris Steakhouse of sorts. Your spiritual muscles will be growing, and along the way, your community will be reflecting the glory of God to those around you. And in all of this, what you'll be doing, you'll be remembering and rehearsing the redemptive story of God through the whole Bible. Because you think about it this way, what did Jesus do? He left his heavenly community to make you a new person. And he didn't just make you a new person yourself, but to place you into a new community, to make you a new people. He left the heavenly community to feed you a rich meal that would sustain you, to make your muscles stronger, and so that his beauty would be reflected to all peoples, every tribe and language, every tongue, who would one day gather around the throne, singing praise to God. So by committing to this kind of a community together, we have a richer meal, stronger muscles, and God's beauty being reflected. You are living the Christ life. It's exactly what he's called you to do. It's grounded in God's character, made possible by his son, empowered by the spirit. The Christian life flourishes in community. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful that you love us. You sent your son for us. Come 2,000 years ago as the savior of the world to make us new people and to create a new community of worshipers that enjoy you together, that are strengthened in you together, that testify of your goodness together. And so we ask for your grace this morning that you would unite us to you and to each other we ask that you would do something mighty in our midst. That we would see and savor you as we walk together. We would recognize your beauty. We would appreciate it. We would delight in your gospel. This can only happen by your spirit, so we ask you to open our eyes. Open our ears. Give us hearts to receive your word and be changed by it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.